Do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam Insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at First and Main at the busiest intersection. Right in the city square where the traffic is thickest, she shouts. You, I'm talking to all of you, everyone out here in the streets. Listen, you idiots, learn good sense. You blockheads, shape up. I love that. Don't miss a word of this. I'm telling you how to live well. I'm telling you how to live at your best. My mouth chews and savors and relishes truth. I can't stand the taste of evil. You'll only hear true and right words from my mouth. Not one syllable will be twisted or skewed. You'll recognize this as true, you with open minds. Truth-ready minds will see it at once. Prefer my life disciplines over chasing after money and God knowledge over a lucrative career. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. Nothing you could wish for holds a candle to her. I am Lady Wisdom, and I live next to sanity. Knowledge and discretion live just down the street. The fear of God means hating evil, whose ways I hate with a passion, pride and arrogance, and crooked talk. Good counsel and common sense are my characteristics. I am both insight and the virtue to live it out. With my help, leaders rule and lawmakers legislate fairly. With my help, governors govern along with all in legitimate authority. I love those who love me. Those who look for me find me. Wealth and glory accompany me. Also substantial honor and a good name. My benefits are worth more than a big salary, even a very big salary. The returns on me exceed any imaginable bonus. You can find me on Righteous Road. That's where I walk, at the intersection of Justice Avenue, handing out life to those who love me, filling their arms with life, armloads of life. God sovereignly made me the first, the basic, before he did anything else, I was brought into being a long time ago, well before earth got its start. Arrived, I arrived on the scene before ocean, yes, even before springs and rivers and lakes. Before mountains were sculpted and hills took shape, I was already there, newborn. Long before God stretched out earth's horizons and tended to the, minute, to the minute details of soil and weather and set sky firmly in place, I was there. When he mapped and gave borders to wild ocean, built the vast vault of heaven, and installed the fountains that fed ocean. When he drew a boundary for sea, posted a sign that said no trespassing, and then staked out earth's foundations, I was right there with him, making sure everything fit. Day after day I was there, with my joyful applause, always enjoying his company delighted with the world of things and creatures, happily celebrating the human family. So my dear friends, listen carefully. Those who embrace these, my ways, are most blessed. Mark a life of discipline and live wisely. Don't squander your precious life. Blessed the man, blessed the woman who listens to me, awake and ready for me each morning. Alert and responsive as I start my day's work, when you find me, you find life, real life, to say nothing of God's good pleasure. But if you wrong me, you damage your very soul. When you reject me, you are flirting with death. This is the word of the Lord.
Okay, let me pray for us, and then Spencer will come up and preach. Father, thank you so much for a new day. Thank you for your new mercies and your grace that you just pour out upon us. Uh, thank you for uh, Spencer, and I just pray for just your blessing to be upon him this morning. I pray, Lord, that your words would come forth, uh, that you would give all of us just open minds, open ears, open hearts to your truth, Lord, that you would teach us and you would bless Spencer as he is up here. We give you all the praise, Lord Jesus. Amen. All righty. Good morning, everybody. We got a full house. We got people upstairs. We got kids here. It's exciting. Welcome to Taproot. If you're a guest here, uh, if you're a member here, welcome back. Um, as a church family, um, we exist to know and become aware of who we are in light of the Father and our Savior Jesus. This is of primary importance to us. And so that's why in the Sunday gathering, we are pushing to know Jesus primarily, and then thereafter, go into the week and make him known. So that's who we are and why we're here, so welcome. Um, once again, uh, John just mentioned my name is Spencer. I'm a chicken tender by trade. I'm a chicken farmer, and I'm a brother in Christ for life. Um, I'm here as just a fellow member uh, within our Taproot family. Um, pretty much the reason I'm here is a group of us, uh, members within the body of Taproot, gather weekly for what we call the preaching cohort. Um, we're in there. We pretty much build each other up and edify each other for the purpose of preaching. Um, so that being said, God desired that I be here today, and so I'm here doing what I'm doing. Um, like I said, this is only my second time up here, and uh, the first time I'm trying to pull away from man uh, manuscript approach, so uh, please be gracious. Um, that being said, I'm going to just reorient us with another prayer. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for today. Um, even more so just as I awoke this, this day and saw the, the blue skies before us. Um, in a summer filled with the smoke of fires, um, we're just so thankful to see the full glory that is your creation. Um, I was out on a prayer walk this morning and went through the park just uh, across the road and just basked in, in all of the trees that you've grown and turned into magnificent beings, reflective of who you are. May we see Proverbs 8 and Lady Wisdom calling us to evaluate our sources of wisdom, to consider where we gather our wisdom from, if it's from the enduring source of the Bible, or if it is from a less reliable source. Um, God, we just ask that you guide us today, um, be with us, our body, the kids here today. May my words not be my, my, not be my own, but be the Spirit's. In your son's name we pray, amen. So, the title today is The Worldview of Wisdom. That's pretty much what we're gonna cover today. Being that Proverbs 8 is a massive passage, 36 verses, took John about two and a half, three minutes to read it, we're just going to jump right in. Um, we won't be able to cover all of these verses in every depth that they uh, contain. Wiser people with doctorates are still working to dive to the depths of this passage. In my study, however, I read about six commentaries and listened to a couple dozen hours of podcasts, including The Bible Project, we love Tim Mackey, and each source had its fair share of rabbit holes. All this to say, we're going to do our best here. 
trusting and knowing that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in this process and the angles we consider today are worthwhile to our body. If we wanted to, we could spend another month just in Proverbs 8, but uh, they wouldn't allow that. Mike wants to get back to preaching. So, um, like I said, we're not even going to scratch the tip of the iceberg to kind of visualize what we're doing today. We're kind of like the tourists in a little dinghy boat just floating around the iceberg, observing its different angles. So that's pretty much what we're doing today. If anything within the sermon piques your curiosity, please reach out to me after the sermon. Um, But after the sermon this coming week, I plan on sharing some of the commentaries I read, as well as the book that we're referencing, as well as the several podcasts that really helped inform this. Like I said, this is a huge passage, and all that we cover today won't be exhaustive. You probably noticed we read a different translation than the ESV today, uh, The Message by Eugene Peterson, which in all accounts is incredibly accurate. The reason we're using it today versus the ESV is the language is a little bit more approachable, and it will aid in kind of understanding the, uh, the key ideas that we're referencing today. So, before we get to the first few verses, let me lay out our three points for today. These are the ideas and points that hit me hard this week and the weeks leading up to studying this passage, especially in light of the message. So first, we will hear Lady Wisdom's call to consider our sources of wisdom. Second, we will dive and delve into the character of Lady Wisdom herself. And third, we will see the rich connection Lady is to the person of wisdom, Jesus. So all three of these points are founded in the reality that the Father's wisdom is interwoven throughout all of creation. In the Creator's handiwork, we see Lady Wisdom calling us to evaluate our sources of wisdom and the directions that they take us. To put the main idea simply, to become aware, our goal is to become aware of where you gather wisdom and to turn wisdom embodied, Jesus, for the fullness of life. Turn to Jesus for the fullness of a flourishing life. So let's move to point one, our sources of wisdom, verses one through 11. I'm just gonna reread those quickly. Do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? Can you hear Madame Insight raising her voice? She has taken her stand at First and Main, the busiest intersection. Right in the city square where the traffic is thickest, she shouts, you, I'm talking to all of you, everyone out here on the streets. Listen, you idiots. Learn good sense. You blockheads, shape up. Don't miss a word of this. I'm telling you how to live well. I'm telling you how to live at your best. My mouth chews and savors and relishes truth. I can't stand the taste of evil. You'll only hear true and right words from my mouth. Not one syllable will be twisted or skewed. You'll recognize this is true, you with open minds. And truth-ready minds will see it at once. Prefer my life disciplines over chasing after money, and God knowledge over a lucrative career. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. Nothing you could wish for holds a candle to her. These first 11 verses are here to set the stage Alas, wisdom is calling. (laughs) 
jokes. I had somebody call me. So, in case anybody is falling asleep, these first 11 verses are here to set the stage for this passage. Wisdom is indeed calling. If we distill down these verses into one idea, it is this. Lady Wisdom is earnestly calling us to assess and analyze our sources of wisdom. She declares her presence boldly. This is a call to all of our senses to listen and become aware. So just like the Twin Falls downtown announcement sign, like 30 seconds that way, she is pronounced and loud, and she makes herself known. And she has taken her stand at the busiest of intersections, just like Five Points, just like the corn vendors, people selling corn out of the back of their trucks, and the Girl Scout cookies, she is stationed to be visible to all of us, making herself clear as day. Throughout these 11 verses, we hear the goodness of her truth and righteousness. But the pillar of this first section is the call to evaluate our sources of wisdom. God designed us to be the bearers of his image. Thus, whatever we dwell on becomes who we are. As we are wrapping up the first nine chapters of Proverbs, it struck me that what Lady Wisdom is declaring here is an incredibly pertinent thing for us to be wise as a church. Just as we acknowledge that our bodies are only as healthy as the food we consume, in the same way our minds and hearts will only be as healthy as the sources of information, understanding, and wisdom we expose them to. This is exactly why the author, Brett McCracken, demonstrates in his new book, The Wisdom Pyramid. Inspired by the template of the food pyramid, the wisdom pyramid confronts our current information intake habits. It reminds us of the enduring bedrock of the Bible and helps us realize how we ought to moderate less reliable sources of wisdom, like social media. This book is a call to reorient our lives around healthy information intake. Myself and several other members within our family were moved by the refreshing reorientation that this book helped us see. And upon dwelling on Proverbs 8, I couldn't help but see the connection. Lady Wisdom isn't just passively speaking on the good life of wisdom. She is declaring the need to become aware of where we get that wisdom. Before we get to the hierarchy of wisdom sources that we see above, Let's first lay out some definitions of words and how we'll be using them in these contexts. Wisdom, for instance, is not knowledge, nor is it information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge gained through various means of education, how to apply knowledge and information in everyday life, how to discern if something is true or false, and how to live well in light of truth gained. It's a moral orientation a developed sense and intuition for discerning right and wrong, real and fake, truth and falsehood. It is accumulated over time and through experience. Hopefully, this clears a lot of things up for us, but maybe wisdom is still mysterious to us, or you don't know how to possess it or receive it. Rhett simplifies wisdom into comparing it to a healthy kidney. A healthy kidney its job is to retain what is nutritious and filter out the unnecessary waste. That's essentially what wisdom is supposed to be doing for us. It's a posture and a practice. It's not a library or just an accumulation of knowledge. 
This definition of wisdom helps us see some better distinctions between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. They're not all the same thing. Knowledge refers to informational awareness, to know things. Understanding refers to the mental comprehension of what we know. And then wisdom refers to the practical application of knowledge and understanding. So do you kind of see the hierarchy here? We first gain knowledge, and then we understand that knowledge, and then wisdom is how we apply that. Does that make sense to everybody? Kind of, no, okay. Oh, it's great, okay, cool. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so since wisdom starts with knowledge, we should review the best diet of information intake. To become wise in the information age, our job is to discern the sources of knowledge we pursue and ponder. So what does the wisdom pyramid look like? The base layer is the living bread, our daily gluten. No, not sourdough, but the Bible. Scripture is the most infallible and important source of wisdom that we have. The Bible is a living record and a dialogue between our Father and ourselves as sons and daughters. It's our primary source, but it's often the source that we turn to last or we relegate to open when all other places have failed. McCracken makes the analogy, and we wonder why we are struggling with wisdom. Today's post-truth world is like a claustrophobic escape room where we all frantically fiddling with things on the floor, hoping they will unlock an exit, all the while ignoring a hidden, plain in sight book that has the instructions we need. It's right there, waiting to be opened, waiting to liberate us from the rabbit trails and the dead ends of a world of self-made truth. Turning to the Bible to gather knowledge of God and your identity in relation to him is the wisest thing any of us can do. It is the most truth-filled well we could ever come across. By the guidance of the Spirit, may we come to drink of its truth in every season and dwell deeply on the daily gluten that it is. Pursuing wisdom through Scripture is the first and primary place, but that does not negate the necessity of the body of Christ to gather together. Sunday morning. C.S. Lewis puts this plainly. The next best thing to becoming wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. One of the best things a healthy church community can offer is actually limitations. This sounds contradictory to our individualized, autonomous American culture in a world obsessed with your truth and living your best authentic life. The church remains a bastion of boundaries. A healthy church exists in truth and for truth. Here at Taproot, we're, we're not here to people please, for instance. McCracken comments further on this. The reality is church is a source of truth precisely because it doesn't exist to serve our interests on our terms. It doesn't exist to agree with popular ideologies, affirm everyone's authenticity, and to shapeshift to avoid hurting anyone's feelings. The church exists to glorify God by making faithful, holy disciples of Jesus. Accepting the simplicity of that and joyfully committing to the local body provides a freeing focus in our limitless age. Besides what we might perceive as negative or the touchy areas of boundaries, we see church as a wisdom-infused hospital and a holy haven 
from our hectic world. What we are building here in Taproot is meant to be a refuge and a reprieve for each of us here today and those that will gather with us in our city. We remember that God himself created Adam and saw that it wasn't healthy for him to be an island unto himself. Adam needed Eve to fully express their humanity. And in that, the restored Adam and Eves that we are, the image bearing that we ought to partake in, is to help, heal, and humbly receive wisdom from the word and from our local Taproot family. The third layer to this wisdom pyramid is nature. While the Bible and the church are our primary sources of gathering knowledge of God, the natural world reminds us that there is a bigger world than the one we've created. The Bible holds itself up by the gift of natural revelation. That is one of the gifts within the Bible, that we might know the creator by his creation. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 goes on to say, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We don't have time to read it, but Psalms 104 is a profound and beautiful poem about the sheer diversity, yet unity of creation, and how deeply everything from the ant to the whale, the valley to the mountain, reveals the one and manyness of the Godhead. God the Father, the Creator, the Holy Spirit tying it all together in Jesus, what we'll later see, a figure of Lady Wisdom embodied, three in one. Everywhere in the Bible, we see imagery, metaphors, poetry, and even Jesus' parables drawing from nature a symbolic and literal truth. Not only is it a place to gather knowledge and insight from, the natural world offers us opportunities to rest and relax. In our fast-paced race of life, may we see nature as a source of wisdom and solace to meditate upon the infinite. After the source of nature, we ought to find ourselves in the library or on Audible. Though we sustain the Bible as the only perfect book, all other man-made books have the potential for cultivating and complementing the wisdom of God-breathed word, community, and creation. One of the many benefits of reading widely and deeply is to expand our capacity for empathy of our neighbors. In an experiment in criticism, C.S. Lewis talks about how each of us naturally only see the world from one point of view. Yet we want to see with others' eyes, to imagine with others' imaginations, to feel with others' hearts, as well as our own. This is to say that reading books, however far or near to the wisdom of the Bible, can help us grow in our ability to empathize with our fellow human and synthesize truth from falsehood. Just this last year, we all remember the hectic year that 2020 was, the confusion and frustration that we experienced nationally in regards to racial relations would have been better healed and helped through books. Instead of inferring or assuming the position of our neighbor, we could have picked up a book about our fellow humans' lived experience. How better a way to be the embodiment of Christ and to be wise 
than to listen and learn amidst all the yelling. So with this, I'm gonna leave you with three rules to reading wisely. Read one old book for every three new books. C.S. Lewis is a great place to start. And then read, the second rule would be to read books that challenge you. This means non-Christian books. I personally really like Jordan Peterson. He's great, check him out. He has a lot of angles and actually, Ravi Zacharias, rest in peace, uh, before he passed away, um, he did a little interview and podcast pretty much referencing and talking about Jordan Peterson and how Ravi Zacharias, being a Christian apologist, really just talked about how Peterson had so many of his conclusions correct and in line with the wisdom of the Bible. Um, It was just his foundations that were a little bit shaky. Um, But in that, reading Peterson and reading psychology and all sorts of different areas that we might relegate to not being a part of the sacred or church world can really help grow us and expand our ability to empathize and synthesize information. And then the third book, read, or the third rule of reading books wisely is to read books that you actually enjoy. Get some fiction to grow your imagination. We all know how difficult poetry is and reading fiction, but in a great way, a lot of these angles of fantasy help us see the glory of God in creation. They help expand our vocabulary and see imagery within words. Um, So yeah, pick up some fiction. So we now arrive at our fifth and second to last layer, beauty. Beauty is in the mysterious nature of joy, pleasure, happiness, and appreciation. We know it when we see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, and touch it. It moves us to tears. It wakes desires in our souls. It tunes our hearts to the symphony of creation. Just like nature, all that is intangible and untouchable within creation is only an outflow of our creator. God is the source and standard of beauty. As someone, as myself, who loves the culinary world, I find myself on a daily basis being dumbfounded and enraptured by a well-prepared meal. There is something so cathartic to reach the conclusion of a hard day with a good meal and a nice rest. To see the contrasting flavors and colors and textures of God's world displayed on a plate. And not only is that plate displayed, but I get to use the fullness of my humanity and senses to hear and see and smell and taste and touch creation. All that is good and delicious. Glory be to God, am I right? Food's amazing. And this, more so, beauty moves me and has moved me to why my livelihood is a chicken farmer. This is why I'm a chicken tender. I so appreciate the chickenness of the chicken and the difference of a deep orange yolk compared to a pale yellow yolk. The beauty and truth of God is in the egg in the flavor and in the stewardship it takes on my part to help the hens produce such an egg. So that is the beauty that moves me. Consider how beauty moves you. Do you like music, art? Are you also a fellow foodie? Whatever it be, see how beauty moves you. So all right, we land the plane 
for point one on the internet. The World Wide Web is at the top, as it usually is the most fleeting and, le and least reliable source for truthful knowledge and information. Just as the top of the food pyramid is full of unhealthy fats, sugars, and sweets, so too we see the fast food diet of Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube to be a source of our poor mental, emotional, and physical health. It is easy to see how Satan has twisted the potential of social media and the internet to become hotspots of angry tribalism, addictive triviality, and a place to amuse ourselves to death. Perfect Photoshop pictures, endless advertisements, and the cognitive dizziness of seeing death right alongside daisies isn't healthy for us. But despite the potential for, for destruction, the digital world is not something we must cut out of our lives. Rather, after we have sought and soaked in the wisdom of the first five layers, we can come to social media and the internet with refreshed minds and hearts to best discern digital wisdom. McCracken concludes this chapter with a call for Christians to not abandon the gifts of the digital world. There are helpful things to gain in the access of a library that is forever open and free to those that use it effectively and wisely. We know the internet and social media are often cesspools of spiritual bacteria. The downsides are indeed massive, but we are not called to abandon the sick. Don't leave these places to rot. Instead, find ways to heal, to redeem, to be a light in the darkness. Encourage the online world to breathe fresher air offline, but do what you can to improve the air quality online. Don't inoculate yourself against the epistemological sickness of the online age. Do your part to find a cure. Promote sources of life and truth and wisdom, just like the wisdom pyramid, scripture, the church, nature, books, and beauty. All of these you can promote online. Now before y'all think this is just a book report, let's bring it full circle by seeing what this all means for us. Lady Wisdom uses the first 11 verses in Proverbs to call our attention to our sources of wisdom. We are reminded of how we ought to think of wisdom, and it is both a posture and practice towards the Father. In all of this, Lady Wisdom is earnestly calling us to assess and analyze where we gather information and knowledge. We are only as healthy as the information we intake, so let's eat well. Point two. So the first point helped us evaluate the sources of our knowledge. Our second point today will be returning to the text to dwell on the character of Lady Wisdom. We see her attributes as being praiseworthy and we appreciate her as the fountain of life. In this passage, Lady Wisdom is both the symbolic source and the origin of truth knowledge, understanding, and applied wisdom. Let's reread this middle section, 12 through 31, to hear her character once again. I am Lady Wisdom. I live next to sanity. Knowledge and discretion live just down the street. The fear of God means hating evil, whose ways I hate with a passion. Pride and arrogance and crooked talk. Good counsel and common sense are my characteristics. I am both insight and the virtue to live it out. 
With my help, leaders rule and lawmakers legislate fairly. With my help, governors govern along with all legitimate authority. I love those who love me. Those who look for me find me. Wealth and glory accompany me. Also, substantial honor and a good name. My benefits are worth more than a big salary, even a very big salary. The returns on me exceed any imaginable bonus. You can find me on Righteous Road. That's where I walk. At the intersection of Justice Avenue, handing out life to those who love me, filling their arms with life, armloads of life. God sovereignly made me, the first, the basic, before he did anything else. I was brought into being a long time ago, well before earth got its start. I arrived on the scene before the oceans. Yes, even before streams and rivers and lakes, before mountains were sculpted and hills took shape, I was already there, newborn, long before God stretched out earth's horizons and tended to the minute details of soil and weather and set sky firmly in place, I was there. When he mapped and gave borders to the wild ocean, built the vast vault of heaven, and installed the mountains, the fountains that fed the ocean. When he drew a boundary for the sea and posted a sign that said no trespassing and then staked out earth's foundations, I was right there with him, making sure everything fit. Day after day, I was there with my joyful applause, always enjoying his company, delighting with the world of things and creatures, happily celebrating the human family. Golly, need I remind you of the immensity of this passage and that we're not going to cover it all. But we are going to shed a little bit of light onto Lady Wisdom. Verses 12 through 21, that first section, are in many ways a continuation of the first 11 verses. They are an exhortation to listen and heed the call of wise knowledge intake. Lady Wisdom speaks of the fullness of life that we can experience as we dwell in wisdom. Moreover, this passage leads us to see that Lady Wisdom is a literary personification of God's own wisdom. She is set as a character within Proverbs so that we may realize the praiseworthiness of a life enriched in wisdom. But more importantly than that, she brings us back to the beginning of creation in our Creator. Everything about verses 22 through 31 points us back to Genesis and God's order. Lady Wisdom worked with the Father to create the universe. Parallel with the first few chapters of Genesis, we read that everything God made with Lady Wisdom was good, and it was meant for joy. In the garden, joy is meant to be a byproduct of the boundaries wisdom sets in our lives. The boundaries God sets in Eden were never meant to limit our well-being, Quite the contrary. The orderliness of the Father's wisdom was set in place to best order our lives around trusting his provision and his love. We remember that Jesus died so that we might be given the chance of returning to this Eden, so that we might be given the chance of life in line with Lady Wisdom's precepts to be joyous in the created order. Every verse of Proverbs 8 accumulates into this one idea. Humans were created to walk in the Creator's wisdom. 
We most closely bear the image of God when we pay attention to our sources of wisdom. And subsequently, when we recognize our identity as a redeemed Adam and Eve, able to choose wisdom every day. May we be reminded that everything in the first 31 verses are not promises to the good life. They convey, however, the purpose of following wisdom. But lest we neglect the core underlying reason for our redemption to Edom and to wisdom, let's move to point three, the person of wisdom, Jesus. Wisdom is a posture and awareness of who we are in light of Jesus. We are Adam and Eve from the garden, but we are not their lost offspring. By the saving grace of Jesus, we are renewed to a life of choosing wisdom and the flourishing life under God. So we've spent a good chunk of time dwelling on the character of Lady Wisdom, but in this last point, we're going to try and supplant and show how Jesus is the literal embodiment of Lady Wisdom, how Jesus is, was, and will be the fullness of wisdom in heaven and on earth. The figurative and poetic language of Proverbs 8 becomes reality as God's divine wisdom puts on a physical body. We are running a little short on time, but a brother actually suggested that we could replace all the pronouns of Lady Wisdom with the person of Jesus in this text. Now, I don't have time to reread the whole of chapter eight again, but do it sometime this week. Replace all of the eyes and the Lady Wisdom with Jesus. It will completely open up this passage. It is incredible. In fact, we see how our early church ancestors actually used Proverbs alongside Genesis to show how Jesus was with God at the beginning of time. John 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, puts this plainly. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the word. He is the creative force of wisdom made flesh. He is the one that was with God and is God building creation. 1 Corinthians 1-30 through declares to us that God has united us with Jesus and that for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom for our sake, in that Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. To conclude the perfection of Jesus' life, he dies to bury our departure from wisdom and resurrects our freedom to choose life with the Father. In Taproot, we talk about Jesus saving us to something, That is just like in Galatians 5.1, where Paul exhorts us, for freedom you have been set free. Do not squander this renewed life you've been given. Jesus saved us to all the good things Lady Wisdom calls us to, life and living under the sun alongside the Father's wisdom. So hear Jesus' voice in the last verses of chapter eight as he admonishes us. So, my dear friend, listen carefully. Those who embrace these, my ways, are most blessed. Mark a life of discipline and live wisely. 
Don't squander your precious life. Blessed the man, blessed the woman who listens to me. Awake and ready for me each morning, alert and responsive as I start my day's work. But when you find me, you find life, real life, to say nothing of God's good pleasure. But if you wrong me, you damage your very soul. And when you reject me, you're flirting with death. So Taproot family, as we conclude, let's see God's orderly wisdom interwoven throughout all of creation and hear the heart of Christ to become aware of where you gather wisdom and in our pursuits turn to Jesus as wisdom embodied, the divine physician who died for us that we might be redeemed to wisdom. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the immensity of chapter eight. I just want to dwell on the richness that your poetry can be for us. Um, and just as we consider the concept of beauty um, as part of the wisdom pyramid, um, I'm just here basking in the poetic, beautiful language of your creation. And that you, the Father, may create us and may enlighten us to use all of our senses. That we are not a people solely of our minds, but we are of our hearts and the rest of our senses. That we are here to hear and see and sense and taste all that is good and all that you've created for us in wisdom and by wisdom. May we see Jesus as our redeemer to wisdom, as our return to the garden. And today as we move out into our week and the rest of Sabbath, may we just take time to ponder where we're gathering wisdom, where our sources be, and may the Spirit guide us back to where they ought to be. In your son's name we pray, amen.